Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. This past week in the church building, I had a little bit of a scare. Uh, I was in the building alone as far as I knew, and I was heading toward the bathroom from the offices, and I spotted movement out of the corner of my eye. Down the hallway, leading from the preschool area to Kid City check-in, there was a man sitting at the end of the hallway in the park bench. So I don't know what I would have done if I had caught him, but I decided to move toward him just to see who he was, to see what's going on and why is he in the building and answer the question, how did he get in the building? And I opened the door to go get him and he bolted out the Kid City entrance door into the parking lot and I ran down, opened the doors and he was gone. I don't know if he is fast or what, but he was not in the parking lot. I walked around to the main entrance of the church. He wasn't there. I walked back, couldn't find him anywhere. Came back in the building, went back to the offices and there he was in the lobby of the offices. And he was an interesting character. He was kind of moving around. His eyes were really dilated. And the very first thing he said to me was, I'm sorry I'm so overdressed. And I couldn't figure out what he was talking about, except I finally figured it out. He had on dress pants. He had on dress pants like he was going to go to church. And he had on a tank top t-shirt that had been ripped and tied back together. And I said, what are you talking about? Overdressed. You're in a ripped shirt. And for the first time, he looked down like he had never noticed he was in a ripped t-shirt tied together. And then he said, uh, he started saying some strange things. But one of the things he said was, uh, I, I shouldn't even be here. I'm, I'm really kind of a, I'm a criminal and I'm an addict. And I don't know if you can tell, but I had a, a hit today. I didn't want to do drugs, but I had a hit today and I think I'm still feeling it. He said, can you tell? And I looked at him and said, brother, I can still tell you are high as a kite. He said, can I have a Bible? I want to go tell my friends about Jesus. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. And I want out and I know only Jesus can help me. That's a man that I can admire. Someone who can admit when he's wrong and he knows who to turn to to get help. I got an opportunity to pray with him and you can pray for him too. His name is Dusty. I gave him a Bible and he headed out across the field and I haven't seen him since. But I'm still praying for him. Would you pray for Dusty too? And while you're praying for Dusty, would you start praying for me and you? When we're going to look at the scripture today in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to see about a man who has not admitted he's wrong and has no idea where to turn for help. And I would say this is a picture that we need to take to heart because a lot of times we are this person. We're not the person like Dusty, drug addict and criminal that he is, who admits when he's wrong and wants to have somebody and wants to have Jesus help him. We are more like King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 who will not admit that they are wrong. In fact, we will fight to make sure everybody knows we are right and we do not know where to turn for help, or if we know, we don't seek the help that only Jesus can give. If you will remember, King Nebuchadnezzar from chapter 2 of Daniel was the king when he woke up with a bad dream and had a bad night, he was ready to kill people. And um, uh, my friend Dow said, when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up with a bad dream, heads roll, but when Daniel's given a uh, bad dream, heads bow. And Daniel bowed and prayed. And you remember in chapter 3, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he said he 
He built this great golden statue. Dow preached on it last week. And he said, if you don't worship my God, I'll kill you. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he is, uh, he's quite the character. But in chapter 4 of Daniel, we get a letter from King Nebuchadnezzar where he explains to us that he's actually changed. He's a changed person, and he has begun to worship the God of the Jews, Yahweh. He's begun worshiping our God, the God and Father of Jesus Christ. That's our God. What happened with Nebuchadnezzar? and Why did he make the change? Let's go in chapter 4 of Daniel, find out what happened in him, and then see how it relates to us. Maybe we can make a change as well. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. What I want you to see here is that this scripture, this passage, is calling us all to repent and turn to the only one person who can help us, Jesus Christ. This passage is calling us to turn to God. And we can turn to God because of the beautiful grace he gives us. You know, God always gives us the grace of a warning. He gives us the grace of clarity to explain um, what's going on. And then he gives us a way out. He gives us a way to turn to him and change. This is what chapter 4 of Daniel says. This is a letter from King Nebuchadnezzar to us. Remember, the guy who wakes up wrong and he wants to kill you. The guy who, if you don't do what he says, he'll kill you. Look at the change that's happened to him. Chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Now, that sounds like a changed man. One that goes from, I'll kill you if you don't do what I say, to, I want you to have a blessing. Verse 2, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, I can't, I have trouble saying that name, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass pass by for him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. 
This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. In your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what decreed for this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven from away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal kingdom. Dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He, please, as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the kingdom of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble." Wow, that is an incredible story. It's an incredible true story 
If you're worried about whether someone could think they're an animal and go and eat grass and live outside, there have been instances in the past where psychologists or doctors have have evidence of people who acted this way. That's not a it's a rare condition, but it is a real condition. But I want to show you why God's grace is so good to us and why his grace is so good to us and that is why we should also repent and turn to him as well just like King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you might be wondering, what do I have to repent of? Let me show you in this story what God is trying to tell us. I I think he's trying to teach us to repent, and he's also trying to give us assurance that even the kings of this earth, that he has placed there for his glory and for his honor. But first, I want to show you about maybe maybe God is calling us to turn to him and repent. First, he gives us great grace because he always gives us a warning. God has given us a warning to turn to him before it's too late. King Nebuchadnezzar, of course, in chapter 4, was given a warning with a dream. Chapter 4, verse 5 says, I had a dream that made me afraid. God was giving Nebuchadnezzar a warning. He was trying to tell him his sins will catch up to him. His sins will eventually catch him and destroy him. The question now becomes, would Nebuchadnezzar listen? Would he take it to heart, the warning God was giving? Then that question bridges across the spans of time all the way here to us today. When God gives a warning, will we pay attention? Have you ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to stop what you are doing? Have you ever been prompted by the Holy Spirit to start obeying God? Sometimes when I'm driving along and my foot is pressing too fast on the gas pedal or too hard on the gas pedal and I'm driving too fast, sometimes, occasionally, this will happen. I will glance down at my speedometer. I will notice I'm going too fast and I will be prompted, you need to slow down. I have tried and tried and tried to listen to that voice whenever I hear it to slow down and get the speed limit right. It's safer for me, it's safer for the people around me, and it's safer for anybody I have in the car. I know all this. And see how time and time again, when I've been prompted to slow down and travel the speed limit, do what is right, be safe, about that time when I slow down and start doing the speed limit, I'll come around the corner and there's a police officer there. I'll come around the corner and there's a police officer coming the other way. I'll come around the corner and notice a police officer behind me. It's almost as if God is saying, you know, if you just listen to these promptings by the Holy Spirit to do what is right, to stop doing what is wrong, he will protect us. God is giving this warning to Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus also gave these types of warnings. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, I love this expression. From the time Jesus started his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus is here with us. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and he tells us to repent so we can be a part of the kingdom, to turn from our ways that are our own ways and turn to his ways. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, this is kind of important. Jesus says the same thing. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who would you say you are? The righteous or a sinner? See, King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the righteous one. He thought he had built everything himself. He thought he should get all the glory. When we start thinking like that, when we start thinking we are the righteous and we're not the ones that need help, we become like beasts. How do beasts act? I have a dog. I have two dogs at home. 
And when my dog gets hungry, my dog starts getting hangry really easy. She'll start snapping at the other dog. She'll start whining. She'll start pacing. All she can think about is her belly. Food, food, food. And then when we open the canned food, we pour the dog food, we mix it, she starts circling. Her, her saliva glands start uh, dripping, and she starts licking her lips. She just can't wait to eat. And she is just so focused on her own belly, her own desires, her own satisfaction. She's acting like a dog. She's acting like a beast. See, when we think we are righteous... And we don't think we're the ones that need help. We act like my dog. All we can think about is ourselves. All we can think about is our satisfaction. All we can think about is what our belly desires. So let me ask again. Are you the righteous? Are you the one Jesus is calling to repentance? Be careful how you answer this. Evaluate yourselves. In Luke chapter 13, there's a tower that falls. And the people, they go and ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, did the people who died in that tower, were they more sinful? Is that why the tower fell? Did God strike them dead because of their sin? And Jesus says, no, accidents happen in this world. This world is broken. What we should take away from the tower falling in Luke chapter 13 is that death can come at any moment. And unless we repent, we will perish too. See, Jesus is giving us this warning. God is gracious to give us a warning. And we should take the warnings of calamities around us. COVID-19, we should take that warning that people have died that we could die too. We should take the warning of that um, apartment building that fell in Florida. We should take that warning. They weren't more sinful as why that apartment building fell. The apartment building fell because sometimes bad things happen. But we should take the warning, Jesus says, that bad things could happen. We could die at any moment. That we should repent and turn to him now. All through Scripture, God gives us a warning. In our Bible study last Wednesday, we're doing uh, this technique called soap notes, where we take the Bible and we see the Scripture and we write out one verse that kind of sticks out to us. Then we uh, observe the Scripture. We kind of write it in a way that we can understand it. We put it into our own words. Then we apply the Scripture. How can we apply it to our lives? And then we pray over the Scripture. God, help us to apply it. Give us the strength to apply it. And then, who do I need to share this with? And that's what the S for, soaps notes. Who do we need to share this with? Let me share with you what I was reading in Matthew chapter 5. That was our homework. I was reading. We're supposed to read Matthew 5 through 7 in our small group. And one thing that sticks out to me And I was reading verse 17. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, in heaven, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, this is the verse that stuck out to me. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That verse stuck out to me like lightning. It, was, it became radioactive to me. It called attention to me. It was a warning. Dale, are you obeying God? Are you obeying God everywhere? And I had to examine my life and I realized I wasn't. And this radioactive scripture stuck out to me. This warning from God seemed like he wrote it just for me in that exact day. And you know, there were some things in my life I needed to change. Some attitudes that I needed to change. Some actions I needed to change. And I've started to change them. I'm not perfect yet. I'm like Dusty. 
I don't want to do the bad things I do. I want to do the good things. Sometimes I do the good things. Sometimes I do the bad things I don't want to do, but I know who to turn to from help, for help, and it's Jesus Christ, and I want to change. I'm not the righteous. I'm the sinner who needs to repent. I need to turn to Jesus. God is gracious that he gives us warning. His scripture gives us warning. We need to listen. This story of Nebuchadnezzar gives us warning. God is also gracious in that he gives us clarity. You know, for Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was able to interpret the dream for him. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 19 through 25, Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are great. Your kingdom is really great. God has given you such great blessings, but you've taken it all as your own credit. King Nebuchadnezzar, you think you're great when really God has given you everything you own. And so God is going to humble you. He's going to provide a time for you to be humble where he's going to take everything away, which would give you an opportunity to turn back to him. That's exactly the clarity we need when we read scripture and we read about the warnings God gives us. When bad things happen, that's a warning from God. And listen to this clarity. Jesus says, it's not because they're more sinful. It's a warning to the people who are still alive. Repent or you too will perish. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, God, Jesus gives a clear warning to churches and Christians everywhere. In chapter 2, he says, repent and go back and love like you first loved when you first met Jesus. You know, some of the greatest Christians and some of the greatest evangelists, some of the greatest sharers and prayers of Jesus are the new, brand new Christians. They're so excited about their love for Jesus. They're so excited about the change Jesus has made in them. They can't wait to tell everybody. Research shows that after about six months, our excitement for Jesus, for one reason or another, begins to fade. And we don't tell anybody else about Jesus. And we don't go and pray with anybody else about Jesus. And Jesus gives a warning in Revelation chapter 2. Repent and turn back to the way you first were. Do you need to get excited about Jesus again? Then you need to change and ask Jesus to give you help so that you can turn back to the way you were, once were. Chapter 2 of Revelation also says, uh, repent of false teaching, repent of, of uh, sexual immorality. Chapter 3 says, repent of laziness, repent of compromising your faith, and repent of pride. Pride is the sin that overwhelms all other sin. Pride is the sin Nebuchadnezzar had, where he thought he himself was God, he himself was great, and he himself gets to set the rules. This is the same sin of Adam and Eve. When they eat the fruit out of the garden, they eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil so they can become in place of God and they get to set their own, um, their own choosing of what is good and evil. This is the same sin when we reject the authority of God over anything about our lives. See, pride says, I'm going to take the place of God and I'm going to establish my own authority and decide what is good and evil. When we reject God's authority over our sexual identity, when we reject God's authority over our sexual um, preferences, when we reject God's authority over our sexual practices, we have pride. When we reject God's authority over our thoughts and imaginations, and we choose to think and imagine what we want to do instead of what God wants to do, we are 
full of pride. When we decide we are going to decide for ourselves our own way and reject God's ways, we are full of pride. When we reject God's authority over our own finances and we choose to spend them on ourselves instead of thinking of others, we are full of pride. When we reject God's authority over our mouths and we choose to talk about anything but Jesus, and we choose not to go share Jesus, we are stopped, believe it or not, by pride. Because we are choosing to make ourselves our own God and choosing to do things that please us instead of please Him. Does that make you more honorable or does it make you beastly? Does it make you like my dog that's only after what can go in her belly? Does it make you snap at people that get in your way? Does it make you think you're greater than you really are? Well, examine yourselves. Do you think more about yourselves, more about ourselves, than do we think about others? This is a sin of pride. And see, Scripture gives us the warning But just like when Daniel interprets the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, God is really clear about the reason and why we should turn away from ourselves and turn toward him. Not only did Daniel give clarity to the warning God was giving Nebuchadnezzar, but Daniel also gave Nebuchadnezzar a way out. I love how God, when he gives the warning, he gives it really clear what we need to turn from. He also gives us a way to turn to him. For Nebuchadnezzar, this is what it is. In verse 25, Daniel explains, You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge. Here's his way out. Acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Nebuchadnezzar needed to acknowledge his own sin and acknowledge the authority of God. Therefore, your majesty, verse 27, be pleased to accept my advice. This is God speaking through his prophet, telling Nebuchadnezzar how to turn back to him. Renounce your sins. Renouncing our sins means we need to acknowledge them and get rid of them and hate them so that we can change. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that your prosperity will continue. That's how we should repent. You know, in the Old Testament, there were actions that people took to repent. They would uh, dress in sackcloth, and it was kind of a real itchy, uncomfortable cloth, and it reminded them that they were sinful and they needed God's help. They were uncomfortable and they needed God's relief. They would pour ashes over their head from the fire pits, and they would just cover themselves with ashes, and they wouldn't look good. And so they were kind of revealing that the outside appearance recognized the inner turmoil they were going through, and they would fast. They would go without the comfort and they would go without the satisfaction of food to to kind of reveal that they were uncomfortable and they could not be satisfied unless God intervened. In the New Testament, um, the repentance kind of works the same way, except it's not really shown necessarily with sack and sackcloth, fasting and ashes. Uh, repentance in the New Testament is not just sorrow for our sins. So sometimes we get sorry because we don't want to do those things, but then we did it anyway and we feel guilty. Dusty, our drug addict friend, was doing that. He felt guilty for his drug addiction and he felt guilty that he had fallen prey to his addiction again. 
Sometimes when we're sorry over the sin we've committed, it's just sorrow. It's not repentance. See, repentance is not just being sorry for the sin we've committed, and it's not being sorry for the consequences of sin. When um, in my past, a long time ago, when I've gotten a speeding ticket, I wasn't sorry I was speeding. I was sorry I got the consequence of the speeding. I got the speeding ticket. Repentance is not being sorry for the sin, and it's not being sorry for the consequence of sin. No, it's a desire to be completely changed. Repentance is an inward change where we begin to despise and hate the sin so much and we begin to seek out the help from God where he will uh, allow us to change and start living a total new life. Paul explains this in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, Paul explains this battle that goes on within him. He wants to do what is right, but he does what is wrong. He doesn't want to do what is wrong, but he does what is wrong anyway. And he said, who can save me from this? Thanks be to Jesus Christ who can save us from this wretched body. And then in Romans 8, this is where Paul starts living. This is where he calls us to live. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you repent, you want to leave your old way behind. You want to leave your pride behind. You want to leave your sin behind. And then you get to turn and hide yourself in Jesus. This is the beauty of Christ. When we are in Jesus, he no longer holds those sins that we have committed and the sins that we commit against us. There's no condemnation. He doesn't condemn us anymore. When we are in Jesus, all of a sudden, he takes away our sin and he gives us his righteousness. When we are in Jesus, his blood covers over our sin, his sacrifice takes away our sin, and then he gives us his righteousness. God declares us not guilty. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's what we need. True repentance will turn away from our old way of life and we will take on the new way of Jesus' life. What can we be repentant of? In Psalm 51, uh, David describes it this way. Psalm 51 uh, was where David writes a poem and a song about when he got caught in adultery and sin and murder. He says this in verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. And then he says, According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Transgressions, iniquity, and sin. Transgression is kind of like spiritual rebellion. We want to set our own rules, and we want to go our own way. All of us are guilty of that. Iniquity is a condition of our heart. It's a moral uh, failing that is built in every human. And we can't get away from it. We need our morals to change. And sin is falling short of the mark God sets for us. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. These are the things we want to repent of. We want to repent of our rebellion and turn and do God's way. We want to repent of our iniquity and turn and take on the morals of Jesus Christ. And we want to repent of our sin and turn and try to hit the mark God has established for us on how to live. And we don't hide behind anything anymore, but we're like dusty. We admit that we are wrong and we turn to hide in Christ Jesus. The clearest expression of true repentance is going to be change in behavior. Let me repeat that again and write this down and take it to heart. The clearest expression of true repentance is a change in your behavior. 
And it's not because you got mad at the sin, you don't want to do the sin anymore. It's because God has changed you inwardly where you hate that sin and now you want to go in Jesus's way. Zacchaeus showed this in Luke chapter 19. Remember Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector and he was collecting more than what he was owed. And when Jesus showed up and changed him within, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give back anything I've taken and I'm going to pay back four times what I've stolen. This is the same response that happened, this change of behavior that happened with the prodigal son. The prodigal son had taken his father's wealth. He'd gone and and spent it all, and he was so poor, he was eating pig slop. When he came to his senses, a change happened within him, and then his behavior changed, and he said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to ask Dad. I know he probably can't forgive me, but could he at least give me a job as a slave? There was a change in his behavior. This is the same type of change that happened with a thief on the cross. True repentance is a change in behavior. And the thief on the cross with Jesus in Luke chapter uh, 23, he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He repented. He changed behavior. And he had no way to express his behavior change, but it happened with his attitude. And he wanted Jesus to remember him. That's a change from trying to do things my own way to trying to rely totally on the peace, only peace that Jesus could give you. You want to see true change? You want to know what true change looks like when somebody truly repents? Look at Nebuchadnezzar's life in chapter 4. Remember, this is the king who said, if you don't worship my God, I'm going to kill you. If you don't answer my dream, I'm going to kill you. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't tell you you have to worship the one true God or he'll kill you. He says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. He went from worship my God or I'll kill you to look at how beautiful my God is. This is true change. King Nebuchadnezzar, who thought of himself as a God, who said, hey, look at what I've built on my own power changed to say, look at who God is. He is the God who gives me this authority. That's true change. True repentance is expressed in changed behavior. We need to seek repentance for God. This happened to me this past week as well. I got a call from uh, someone in our small group. I won't tell you what this person's name is. I'll just tell you the story. In small group, we were doing a Bible study, and this person disagreed with me, the teacher. And this person let everybody in the room and me know that they disagreed with me. And we had a conversation, and it wasn't too bad, but this person called me later in the week. Talk about true repentance. Talk about humbleness under God. This person called me and said, I need to apologize. I said, what are you talking about? This person said, I need to apologize because in class, I was not as respectful as I should have been because you are my teacher. This person said, God told me that I needed to apologize, that I needed to repent to God and to you. And and I said, well, wait a second, because, you know, I'm not so important that this person has to, and, and this person said, no, no, listen, this person stopped me. They said, I need to apologize and repent to God and to you, and here's why. This person said, God has put you in my life to teach, and it's okay if I disagree with you, but I need to do it in a respectful way. And what I should have done was found you after class, told you I disagreed, and allowed us to have a conversation instead of interrupting class, 
and showing you disrespect. This person, this person has a humble heart that's after God. This person might have been right. I might have been wrong. But this person was correct in saying, I disrupted class and I should have handled things differently. So I'm sorry and I'm making things right. You want to see what changed behavior looks like? You want to see what true repentance looks like? You need to look at this Christian who comes to our church. You need to find this person and you need to follow them and let them disciple you. Because this is what humility and grace look like. This is the same grace that God gives us when he gives a warning, he gives it with clarity, and then he gives us a way out. This is what true repentance looks like. How can we get here? Well, we need to embrace the Jesus way. We need to recognize that we need help. We need to recognize that we all have iniquity and transgression and sin. We need to turn to Jesus and ask him to forgive us, give us the power to have change, and ask for an inward change in our being where we will hate going our own way and begin to love going the way of God. We need to be like Nebuchadnezzar who can't wait to tell people about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we're not going to try to force somebody to obey like the old Nebuchadnezzar did. And we're not going to try to force somebody's opinion, our own opinions on someone. We're just going to hold it out with gentleness and love and grace. We're not going to fight to be right anymore. We're going to let God handle our character. This is what true repentance is going to look like. How we get here is we need to read the Bible. We need to learn how to pray. And we need to be around other church people that will teach us the way of Jesus, that will hold us accountable to the ways of Jesus this is what we do, and it's really not that difficult. I heard one preacher say, it's kind of like sitting on a stool. A good stool is going to have three legs. It's going to, and he said, Christianity is like that. We have three legs. We have prayer, the Bible, and being around other Christians, which we call the church. Not the building, the people. And this preacher said, if you take away one of those legs, it, that stool is going to get real unbalanced. So if you just read your Bible and you just pray, but you never are around other Christians, you never are with church, you're going to be really unbalanced, and you're not going to know how to live out what the Scripture is, is, tells us to live out. You're not going to live out your prayers, and you're not going to be able to help anybody because you won't have anybody to pray with. And he says, if you just go to church and you just pray, your doctrine is going to be so bad, you're going to believe anything that comes your way, and you're going to be blown about, tossed about by the wind. Then he said, and it gets worse, if you'd only do one of those things, if you only read the scripture, but you never pray and you're never around other Christians, or if you only pray and you never read scripture and you're never around other Christians, or if you're only ever around Christians, but you never pray and you never read your Bible, he said, you're like if you were sitting on a stool that had no seat, but only one leg. This preacher said, you're going to walk around like something ain't right. If you want to know how to repent and to turn to Jesus, he gives us simple ways. Practice reading your Bible. Practice praying. Practice being around Christians. And then we will find out and we will see and we will learn what Jesus means when he says, repent and turn to me because the kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. Jesus uh, gives us a way. Peter gave us a way when he told all the, all the Jews in Acts chapter 2, he said, you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
that wraps it up. It's a clear sign that we have turned from our old way and we're turning to God's way. It's a change inside of us because the Holy Spirit comes to live in us and gives us a new birth in the kingdom of heaven. And then God helps us understand what we're reading the Bible, what we're praying about, and when we're around other Christians. We want to help you take your next best step. If you would like more information about how to do that, visit us online at wcconline.org and fill out a Connect card. If this message has inspired you, be sure to share it with a friend. And don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Thanks again for joining.